This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the Center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. Every Air Force mission depends on information dominance. The operational advantage gained from the ability to collect, control, exploit, and defend information to optimize decision-making and maximize warfighting effects. Information that is secure, accurate, reliable, and timely enables information dominance and provides the warfighter with the best ability to make decisions that outpace their adversary. Innovation alone will not enable information dominance. Rapid and agile acquisition is critical to ensuring information technology and operational technology can respond to dynamic cyber requirements. What is the U.S. Air Force's information dominance strategy? How is the U.S. Air Force changing the way it does IT? And what is the U.S. Air Force doing to leverage advances in mobile technologies? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Bill Marion, Deputy Chief of Information Dominance and Deputy Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Air Force. Also joining us from IBM is Bill Shaw. Bill Marion, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Bill Shaw, welcome. It's good to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. Great. So can we start with some basics, Uh, Bill? Would you describe the mission of your office and how it supports the overall mission of the U.S. Air Force and DOD? Absolutely. Um, So total in the portfolio, uh, about $17 billion in execution. So that's everything from normal operations and maintenance to investment type areas, all things IT, all things cyber. Uh, so if you look at the big rocks that we cover, everything from warfighter integration, so that's systems integration, so that could be platforms and logistic support, regular IT that you think of, email and storage and, and those kind of things. Uh, a lot of CIO, Chief Information Officer Compliance Area, so as a government entity, mm-hmm. making sure we're spending money efficiently uh, is certainly a big effort. Records management, all of the things around CIO compliance by law. Uh, is a big effort. And then cybersecurity is, is another huge effort. Uh, certainly everyone sees that in the in the news today. Uh, nation state threats, regular individual threats that are out there. And then really the last one is workforce development. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have about 54,000 individuals in the Air Force that have specific focus in IT and cyber. And so that 54,000 people takes a lot of effort across officer, enlisted, civilian, total force, uh, active guard, and, and reserve to manage force develop retain, recruit, all aspects of workforce for those 54,000 individuals. And Bill, what are your responsibilities and duties as the deputy CIO for the Air Force? 
uh, is to make it all of it run. Uh, all right. So General Shueto just recently uh, took the took the helm as the chief information officer. So as his deputy, I would put our, our big efforts in, in almost those same five big rocks, uh, warfighter integration. So taking everything from F-22 and F-35 systems and all the logistic systems and business systems around those, making sure we get data to and from those platforms, making sure we have logistic support, financial support. Uh, the second one is, as I mentioned, the cybersecurity business. Weapon system hardening is a big deal for us right now, making sure those systems are secure, um, that they operate as we want them to operate. Data is not being exfiltrated, mm -hmm. uh, so that cybersecurity side. And then on the IT side of it is really the outsourcing endeavor. So making sure we have a cogent funded strategy uh, to move enterprise IT, what we call it, out to industry. It's not a core competency of the Air Force, so that's everything from data centers to email, Again, I mentioned storage, um, all those things that can be commoditized so we can turn those airmen into cyber operators, if you will. Uh, the workforce piece that I'd mentioned, those 54,000 airmen, uh, and then really the last one is all the aspects of CIO compliant, compliance, which is not a sexy job yeah. by any stretch, <laughs> but it is very critical to, uh, really to the taxpayers to make sure that every dollar is spent wisely. Um, and we maximize all of the interfaces and standardization things that we need to in the government. And if not done correctly, can get you in trouble. <laughs> Absolutely. And and really on all fronts. So the, the interface side of it, making sure the weapon systems operate efficiently all the way down to making sure, honestly, airmen get paid mm -hmm. accurately. Yeah. Um, we often focus on the weapon systems, but but I would argue the, the logistic systems, the financial systems, the personnel systems. Uh, we spend a lot of time and energy making sure we get that right. Um, large investments in those areas as well. So... Um, at the end of the day, making sure families are taken care of because we have people in harm's way every day is very important. That's a great point. So regarding your duties and responsibilities, what would you say are your key management challenges that you face in your position? And, and more importantly, how have you sought to address them? Probably the number one right now is, is much like what you're seeing in industry is, is the workforce side of it. Um, the competition in that space for, for talent uh, is like no other. I mean, it, I graduated out of college during the time of the IT bust, um, and so there was a lot of IT professionals and, and not necessarily a lot of IT jobs. Uh, now it's just the opposite, right? You have cybersecurity jobs, you have system interface development, web, mobile, cloud, uh, just out, just unbelievable growth in that area and not enough talent coming out. And so supporting STEM, the science, technology, you know, engineering, math type areas, how do we support that from a government entity? How do we support also our current workforce and retooling them because many times they've got core IT talents, but they don't necessarily have the latest cloud expertise or they don't have the latest mobile expertise. Um, one of our big initiatives uh, that we'll probably talk through here today is the whole cyber recruiting. Uh, so looking differently, we used to do career fairs, you know, your old old school, go out and do a career fair for recruiting. Now we're actually getting into cyber competitions into colleges and universities. Uh, so really at the most foundational level, it's it's the workforce side of it, both the ones we have and the ones that, that we need to grow. Are there any other challenges besides um, that are oh, absolutely. Important? I mean, the people are the most important, but like, I don't know, um, what about managing the portfolio? Uh, absolutely. So the, a big effort right now is, again, what we call enterprise IT. So how do we get our hands wrapped around that? We're, we're one of the largest, I would argue, probably Fortune 10 level oh, IT wow. companies. Uh, on the unclassified network is a, just a frame of reference, 700,000 endpoints, uh, 700,000 individuals. Our, uncla our classified networks just make that, that much bigger. Uh, so again, it's not a core competency of ours to run PCs and to run data centers and those kind of things. So bringing that portfolio together and then transiting at the right sequencing out to industry to run those, um, 
have a big initiative to outsource um, our web-based office suite. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is ongoing. We're about a fifth of the way through that um, and soon to be the largest implementation of that solution. Um, again, because of scale, we're about 110,000 have already transited. Uh, we have some cloud solutions ongoing uh, that are working marvelously with industry, everything from infrastructure as a service to platform. So I I simplify the space down into really five sometimes six portfolios, the connect portfolio, our network layer, making sure that's sound, protect, which is all the cybersecurity, uh, compute and store, which is the data center side, enterprise services, your your core things you use on a day-to-day basis, and then end devices. So moving toward from a desktop experiment, if you will, to, uh, to a mobile space. Uh, so that portfolio management, we are retooling as we speak to those five principal portfolios, and then also driving that from an enterprise delivery approach. Bill, you've been back in Washington for a while now since leaving Space Command. What has surprised you the most since taking on the current role? Size and scale, um, I think, is probably, as I, as I mentioned, 700,000 both individuals and end devices. And so the policy implications, the dollar implications, uh, you know, the short snippet is one more dollar on an IT solution costs us a million dollars. Wow. Right? It's hmm. at 700,000, not quite a million, but every dollar we spend is almost a million dollar decision. So as a CIO, you literally have to watch every dollar. Um, not that every decision is made by a dollar, but at, at grand scale, it's it's a very expensive proposition. Um, along with that is the impact at a very executive level you can also make. So in law and legislation, uh, at a major command level, you don't necessarily have that level of impact. But actually having representation in the congressional meetings uh, with the House and Senate Arms Services Committee to be able to go in and and, and have great discussions about what legal aspects and what law aspects could be implemented to help not hinder IT innovation, um, acquisition, agility, which has always been a challenge. And so having that direct inject is something that I've never experienced before in the field, right? You don't have those same touch points. Um, so I would say, you know, principally the scale issue of mm-hmm. every decision is a big decision. And so you need to make sure you get it right. And then also the ability to also make some very strategic impacts across the enterprise uh, through law and legislation. That's an excellent uh, response. So, you know, uh, given your background, your current leadership role, what um, what are the characteristics of an effective leader? And perhaps you could outline for us um, some of your key leadership principles that you follow. I, I would say as a CIO, I always tell folks, know the business. Mm-hmm. I mean, we say it a lot, but we don't act it a lot. We, we think about the IT delivery first. Um, it's pretty much on a daily basis. It's about the business proposition, whether we're dealing with an enterprise license piece where a dollar matters, uh, but ultimately, our, how are we going to use that piece of software? How does it provide enterprise effects? Uh, so so that at the very macro level is, is the first thing that CIOs, I think, often lose sight of is, well, this is the best technical solution, right? Cloud, mobile, big data. We throw those buzzwords out there all the time, but really it's how do you interact with the functional communities? Um, one of my biggest lessons coming from the field as a lifelong kind of IT cyber guy was I took the CIO job for the A1, which is the pay and personnel side. So all the uh, human resource type applications, so almost 200 of those. Actually, from a functional perspective, how does IT deliver value to the airmen? Um, again, pay systems, personnel systems, making sure that somebody's reserve uh, retired paycheck is accurate, which is actually pretty hard to do because they come from active duty to reserve. And then all those changes in the systems um, really stress the system. And so at the end of the day, you, you take it very personally 
that every airman is paid well, because that's the person that's out in Afghanistan or, or somewhere else in harm's way. And so the first thing you want to do is make sure that system runs right. Um, so that functional bias, if you will, that mm -hmm. business bias that says cloud delivers value to pay and personnel in these ways. Mobility provides value in these ways. Um, and it is unbelievable, I always say, <laughs> the number of IT professionals that can't make that leap. Um, it's the best technical solution, but it's not necessarily the best business solution. What is the U.S. Air Force's information dominance strategy? We will ask Bill Marion, Deputy Chief of Information Dominance and Deputy Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Air Force when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. What role does fire play in shaping natural resource land management? How does Interior's Office of Wildland Fire work to suppress wildland fire? What is being done to reduce the risks to first responders and the public? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Brian Rice, Director of the Office of Wildland Fire, U.S. Department of the Interior. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Bill Marion, Deputy Chief of Information Dominance and Deputy Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Air Force. Also joining us from IBM is Bill Shaw. So, uh, Bill, b before we delve into specific initiatives, um, perhaps you could set the stage and you know, identify for us some of your key strategic priorities. You kind of hinted at them in the last segment. And what's your core vision for your office? So everything we do starts with what we call the info, information dominance flight plan. Uh, so when you look at the Air Force level, there's an Air Force strategic plan, which is large, high-level uh, Air Force operational uh, st strategy for how we do business. Our information dominance flight plan really segments that out a little bit farther. So in the IT, cyber, and weapons system space, what are our priorities? So in essence, have four. Uh, the first one is really freedom of action and, and interoperability of those weapon system platforms. So that's everything, as I mentioned in the, in the first segment, F-22, F-35, F-16, logistics systems, um, weapon systems, all the things that, that run the mechanics of the Air Force. So that's really what we call freedom of action, is making sure those systems are fully uh, enabled to do the missions. That and, and so there's a lot of data behind that. There's a lot of uh, logistics back-end support to that, and how do we support it? Um, the warfighting engagement side of cyber, uh, and I'll leave it at that, is also in that bucket. So as we bring in what we call multi-domain operations, which is principally air, space, and cyber operations. How do we synergistically bring those capabilities together for increased effect, right? Air has a certain effect power, space, and cyber, but when you start bringing those efforts together, so how do you use a space-based platform uh, to augment a cyber capability or vice versa? That's when they become game-changing effects. And so uh, those are really that freedom of action and interoperability of how to use your cyber tools in concert with the, with the larger weapon systems in air and space to provide really synergistic effects. The, the second big one is really around the cybersecurity realm. Um, again, all facets 
uh, everything from defensive activities to commodity IT and how do you secure a commercial in concert with industry uh, to continuous monitoring of our systems to make sure that no one's in the systems and, and, and we're making sure they, they stay out in every day. Enterprise IT, as I mentioned, uh, so across those portfolios, how are we modernizing, making the right investments, uh, workforce, and then the CIO compliance. So when you look at the information dominance flight plan, those five strategic initiatives are the key drivers for everything we do. Um, there's a range of about 80 plus enterprise initiatives underneath those. So that's kind of, if you look at the goals of those uh, five principal areas, you drive that through these subsections and then up to 80 plus enterprise initiatives. Um, and, and I'm sure we'll cover some of those today um, of, again, cybersecurity initiatives to, to workforce. You started to touch on some of the, the key internal drivers, but are there any other specific external pressures or other internal drivers that we haven't talked about that may have informed the selection of these priorities your office is focused on? Uh, I, I think those priorities really um, go across time. Uh, and when you look at those priorities and what we do, I think the initiatives will change. Um, and as we mature through those initiatives, they'll, they'll, they'll morph and change and the threat will change and the, the business objectives will change. But I, I think those those strategic goals are, are really prevalent. They've actually haven't changed in three revisions of that document. Oh, really? okay. um, now, the initiatives underneath them and our maturation through those have absolutely changed and matured. Um, so when you talk about, um, you know, as an objective, connecting your airmen to the data that they need for their day-to-day -day business, whether, again, it's logistics data or personnel data, that's going to be there forever. Mm -hmm. Now, how we connect them to that data, how do we provide a mobile-based interface that makes it easier and easier to interact with that data? Those initiatives, right, change and they mature. Um, but the fundamental concept of that airman needs to have data to, to do his or her business uh, every day doesn't really change. Um, so I think what's good, the, the piece that, that we brought into that fight is, is now a, 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 what we call an A236, which is really the operations, intelligence, and IT. So it's a, it's a tri-sign document now, which shows that it's, it's all ranges from operations to intelligence to IT operations for those strategic goals. And again, they really didn't change. So I think it shows that that is, is really almost set in stone. And then the whole goal is alignment of dollars and alignment of initiatives to maximize the benefits. And so when we talk about change, um, you know, when's the right time to, to morph and modernize those initiatives to, to get more and more value out of every dollar? And one way you're doing, and you alluded to it earlier, is like many federal agencies, uh, they're stuck running legacy systems and applications. So what do you, could you maybe get a little deeper into your cloud migration strategy? Uh, what is your approach? Uh, how many applications have been moved to date and where are you going with it? All right. Very good question. So that is the fundamental problem in the government, right? We, we probably have around 80 plus percent in what we call O&M, just keeping the legacy yeah. systems going and very sub 20%, probably closer to 10% of modernization dollars. So to your point, that is absolutely the problem we're in. Um, I'll, I'll give one use case. So when I was in, in personnel, we moved our big personnel portal to the cloud, to a, in essence, a DOD compliant private cloud in commercial space, uh, 1.7 million users, which was very phenomenal. Um, we went from beginning to end in that project in nine months. Wow. The system was actually up in 30 days. And so it, it, I, I say that and most people don't believe any of it in mm -hmm. the government space because it used to be two or three years just to procure <laughs> hardware, figure out where to install it and actually have it installed in two to three years. And we went end to end, full capability, tested and fielded in nine months. And it was really because we leveraged cloud activities to do that. We used commercial capabilities. We tried not to customize it and we didn't customize it. And we went from beginning to end in, in nine months. We, we were literally 12 versions behind in that software. 
my biggest challenge was just keeping it running every day. It would go down every week. So I went from 12 versions behind and all the security implications with that, very troubled outages every week, which is this is the system, which is a lot of pay implications to it, to a system that I could rely on every day. And, and really what that did is our airmen were then focused on the application functionality and not about whether the hardware was running. Uh, so from an agility perspective, it showed that we can do this. Certainly took a lot of effort that that other eight months was working through the, the new processes, but the change management stuff. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, phenomenal success. We didn't necessarily save money per se. We saved a ton of time. It provided a lot more operational relevance and honestly able to put new capability into that system for all the requirements that we hadn't got to because we're worried about infrastructure. Um, as far as initiatives that we're focused on, there's just order of magnitude on the defense business system side, probably about a thousand applications we deal with, um, principally in the logistics, financial, and personnel side. Uh, we have initiatives in all ranges from infrastructure as a service, platform, and software as a service. Uh, so I mentioned one of them, which is office automation uh, solution. That's well over 100,000 people right now, actually in concert with another agency uh, on the SaaS side or software as a service. And then we're moving applications principally in the personnel and logistics community to the infrastructure as a service um, piece of it. I, I would say we're, we're still in the early stages. We're not at the speed. We're, we're a little bit past the crawl and probably in the early walk stages of repeatability. Um, when I talk about workforce, getting the skilled workforce that knows all the tenants around cloud is something that we, we're really focused on right now because we don't have the repeatability yet. So it's, it's a lot of heavy lift to move every application. I don't mean that from an industry perspective, but it's a retool the workforce, work through accreditation, it's a new world model, and, and shift an application. Uh, we'll likely have about six more by the end of the month, um, and then we hope to have about 20 more by the end of July. And so hopefully we're, we're seeing an uptick right now that, that we can truly start to commoditize the infrastructure and really focus on the applications. You mentioned and maybe lamented a little bit there about acquisition as part of this process. And we're starting to see more use of other transaction agreements and Defense Innovation Unit Experimental to field rapidly a little more of these capabilities directly to the warfighter in a timely fashion. How does the Air Force use these vehicles? Are you using these vehicles currently? Have you seen the results you've expected, what you'd like to see from these vehicles, and do you think you'll be using them more as you go forward? Absolutely. Um, there, there is a challenge to them that I'll, I'll try to wrap up with, but we're absolutely using them today. Uh, we've probably had a dozen um, across the IT space, everything from uh, the Air Operations Center and, and doing rapid agile acquisition and, and software retooling as in one application space to really just how do we get it software licensing much more quickly through a OTA authority. Uh, Defense and Innovation Unit Experimental, um, we actually are the principal manning of that from an Air Force perspective. So uh, the, the Lieutenant Colonel that, that really leads a lot of those activities under Rasha uh, is, is an A6 asset. We intentionally embedded people out there because we saw such value in it. Um, not necessarily directly for us in the IT side of it, but for all the functional space. So, so most of those OTA authorities are really for the functional domains. Air Operations Center, uh, we actually did some things for the Army. There's a whole range of, of areas we're going through. The other innovation area, 18F, GSA's 18F, uh, on the agile acquisition side of it, our agile software development side of it, uh, we're, we're kicking into some things there that we think show some promise. Still kind of early on that one, but it's trying to leverage it. We also just recently um, hired a, a what's called a senior well, a senior executive that's a little bit different than a normal SES to focus on acquisition innovation, if you will. So how do we bridge in, in the challenge, how do you bridge from OTA into repeatable 
acquisition process. So the, the one challenge with OTA is it can get you very quickly into something from an R&D or from a, a rapid acquisition, but the problem is, okay, now I want to modernize it or I want to, the OTA authorities don't really fit with that. Mm -hmm. And so you get back in the conventional, so you got it done once, you're rapid, but now you get back in the in the old way of doing business. Yeah. So, so we've hired, um, uh, an, uh, basically she's an industry She's coming in to help us, coming from the venture capital executive vice president side on the, on the industry side to say, okay, how do we bridge, you know, what what she saw on the outside and what we're doing on the inside to take OTA and normalize it and actually provide the, the repeatable acquisition process behind it? Because to be honest, that's the that's the core challenge. Is it, people are moving out on OTA. Also, the say the last one is Air Force Digital Services. So Air Force just, Absolutely. you know, held uh, or stood up a couple months ago. Air Force Digital Services out uh, as kind of a spring off of the DOD Digital Services, seeing huge value there of going in, um, in many cases, one of the key things is going and doing a deep dive on a system, using new techniques and kind of what they're seeing from industry, because these folks are pretty much hired directly from industry. Are we building this web application correctly? Are we have the right mindset for how this system is going? They give us direct feedback and, and there's a lot of changes in systems um, with a very small team, right? So. We can't get to scale with that model because you're talking five to 10 people typically, but we can put them on the hardest problems to help get us on the right path forward. So, you know, what is being done with, to strengthen the, um, the department's IT capital investment process? And, and more importantly, just to make sure that investment decisions align with mission, um, with mission outcomes. And then kind of picking up on that acquisition conversation, how do you think DOD 5,000.75 will impact Air Force acquisition? Uh, so very involved in the 5,075 mm -hmm. rewrite. Um, it was a, a phenomenal change in mindset. Um, the elements of DOD level that, that we're working that we they partnered with the services, which is the first great step. Where are the pain points in the process? What, what adds value and what doesn't add value to compliance, to security, to you know, cost effectiveness? And so it was fundamentally rewritten. Um, the, the ability to tailor the documentation. There's a whole cottage industry around all the documentation steps around every major acquisition system. So now it's tailorable. Uh, on the CIO side of it, the big impact for us was the Clean Cohen Act compliance. Uh, it's a title authority of all those documentation pieces that have to go in. And so it was a unique opportunity to really start whole um, and, and look at, again, acquisition value added and IT value added. So we have just finished a retooling. We've actually codified that in, in instruction and really limiting it down to three principal areas for compliance and, and kind of cybersecurity and IT investment. And so we've taken basically an 11-step process and brought it down to three steps. Um, and we can be laser focused on the three steps and make sure those are value added and the other eight that really weren't, we, we couldn't track any fundamental financial security or other value to them. We have basically changed the way we do them and gotten rid of them or delegated them down to the right level that they need to be done at. So that 5,075 had a lot of branches and sequels to the to the rewrite. Um, there was a good analogy the other day that I thought is the, the elephant, the chained elephant and the, the circus tent, that they we've lifted the chain now, but the elephant's still circling. Um, it was a senior executive analogy that uh, I didn't create that one, another one did, but that's kind of where we're at right now. So the chain has been lifted, there's still some elephants kind of in the same circle. And so really we're on an outreach program right now to make sure that everybody understands there's a new way to do business that should be more empowering, should give you more flexibility, uh, but more importantly also gives us more insight and ability to shape the investments around the, the right road versus 
the mechanics of a process that, that don't add a lot of value. So Can I ask a follow-up question regarding acquisition? Going back to the, the innovation uh, executive that you're bringing in to figure out a way to do acquisition more innovatively, and you spoke about cha chains. Um, is all this stuff being done under, you know, the far, I'm thinking of the FAR, and do you envision some of these innovative ways of procuring things would need to go to the Hill for clarification or is oh, it? Absolutely. Okay. I yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mentioned the, the House and Senate Arms and Services. that's where you would do it. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of language there. There's actually, uh, give Congress a lot of credit, they're, they're asking us for the, you know, help, help. and assistance uh, in those areas because one is, it's always better to collaborate on the language, right? Because sometimes, again, you say something and that's not really what you meant. Exactly. Um, but absolutely. So that person, one of their prime jobs is to help with the legislation and, okay. and legal aspects. So things like the National Defense Authorization Act, um, very key to that piece of it. So one is uh, using a couple of use cases, mm -hmm. to kind of prove it out, but then to take that and turn that into language that, that will help. Um, the one challenge I would argue is sometimes the far, it's you know, the additive piece doesn't help because there's actually pieces that conflict, right? So in this one, if you interpret, you can do it. This one, you can't. Which one did you use? So to some degree, it may not be new language. It may be streamlining the existing language to say you can and, and remove the conflicting language. I, I actually, I, I've yet to see, like even in the OTA piece, that you can't do it. Mm -hmm. But there's another clause that says you can't do it. And so, so sometimes it's just the streamlining of a multi-thousand page document is something that's really huge. Yeah. So switching gears to a more interesting topic, but, but less. So how are you shaping and training the workforce uh, of the future now to operate in the digital age? Ooh, there's, a, there's a lot of branches and sequels on that one. Um, well, first and foremost, I'd say, uh, I don't know if we're going to a, a new workforce, but first of all is the new workforce, how do we get more of that injected in? Uh, we have been very focused on veteran hiring, which is very, very important to us. But at the same token, when you do that, by default, we're kind of bringing in folks with the, the previous technologies. And so there's value to it, but we're trying to bring in new talent. Part of that is it helps the current generation right to retrain because now you have those, those new technologies and new mindsets coming in. Uh, the other piece we have I, I've spent a lot of time recently on retooling our schoolhouses. Uh, so things like changing from waterfall develop, software development into agile, uh, believe it or not, a lot of those that courseware is still very waterfall-like centric uh, software development. So focusing on things like Air Force uh, Information Technology Institute, the AFIT um, site out at Wright Pat, uh, retooling the whole curriculum on a new era. Some of that retooling is also on the cybersecurity front. So how do you do mission threat analysis? So if I go in one of our jobs as cybersecurity is not just to protect a system, but I, I worry about HVAC systems, you know, AC systems and all the network infrastructure and systems and security forces that's a whole big security mission thread, right? So they're not necessarily gonna come after the IT systems, they could take the HVAC out, which takes out. So we have to look holistically. So retraining the workforce to say, how do you, how do, you do mission, what we call mission threat analysis? So take a mission and thread it from end to end to see where the critical points are. So that training has actually been institutionalized also into the schoolhouses so that uh, a, a, what used to be a communication squadron airman that comes out that says, I run IT, I run IT, but I also know how that IT affects our ability to launch airframes. Uh, very key initiative. It's, it's called Cyber Squadron Initiative is, is ultimately how it's codified out, but retooling a communication squadron into a cyber squadron. So fundamentally less on IT and more on cyber defense. How is the U.S. Air Force changing the way it does information technology? 
we will ask its Deputy Chief Information Officer, Bill Marion, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest is Bill Marion, Deputy Chief of Information Dominance and Deputy Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Air Force. Also joining us from IBM is Bill Shaw. So, uh, you know, Bill, going back to your time uh, at ACC, the Air Combat Command, uh, I understand you were a big proponent of mobile technologies. Um, so could you tell us a little bit more about Air Force's mobile technology strategy? Uh, how would you rate the transition to mobile, and what do you envision in the next six to 18 months happening? I think all the services would rate that we're not going fast enough. Um, I, I do think the Air Force has made some some great investments. Just as an order of magnitude, probably a little over 100,000 mobile devices, so iPads, um, iPhones, Android, um, kind of fit for use, things like barcode scanners, those kind of things, but over 100,000 in what I would call the mainstream mobile devices. So roughly a seventh of the enterprise as an alternate device. Not where I'd like it to be. I'd like to, you know, much higher than that, but I think that's a huge step forward and, and I think ahead of the other services. The fundamental frameworks of that is in place. So the ability to manage and secure and all those kind of things is there. Uh, so from a foundational level, I, I have a what I used to lovingly call the Marion Mobile Maturity Model, which was starting at the most elementary, can I see to device, can I provision it? Uh, we're about a third up that stack. Uh, and so we've got a few things around application. How do you build mobile applications? And that's the pieces that we really got to focus on. Well, we got the core mechanics right. Uh, there's a couple of use cases that I think we've done uh, very well at. Uh, the executive use case, which most people think of, right? Uh, I've got my email and calendar and all those kind of things. That's, that is definitely the most mature. We've been doing that for years and years. Um, but I guess about seven, eight years now. Uh, the, the big ones that are really growing is eTools, which is the logistics community. So how do I get uh, basically my technical orders that I'm working on F-35 at the end of the flight line? I get on, on a pad of some type and I have all my technical orders and schematics and I can video back to my um, the other squadron and say, hey, I've got a problem. Here's a picture. Uh, the other big one was the electronic flight bag. So much like you saw in commercial airframes, changing from these big heavy paper uh, to in this case, iPads was very significant. Saved us millions of dollars in fuel because all that paper transporting is poundage, right? Which converts into to fuel. Um, one one story that I, I like to say now, I was on, recently on a, a senior tour. We were going through the COCOMs and we got to fly in a, a C-17. 
and got to fly in the front and on the kind of with a wax pencil up on the side, uh, it's, it's got 56 souls, you know, on the, on the window, you know, so it's a reminder that the pilot, I have 56 souls in the back. It's kind of that hit you right here. Meanwhile, he pulls out his iPad and he starts to do his flight planning. I'm going, how cool is that? <laughs> right. I, I mean, it, you know, can we trust mobile devices? And we're all the way down to, I'm trusting 56 souls for an electronic mobile device. And it's not a plug for Apple. It's just a, we have, we've come a long way to say, yes, we can get digitization in an airframe and it's actually having combat effect. And, and, and I'll say at the end of the day, there's 56 lives in the back that they count on the fact that the data is correct, it's secure, and, and it's gotten that end device. So that was kind of a, a really waking moment. I, I have that, that picture that I took and uh, it just shows we've come a long way in mobile. We still have a long way to go, uh, but we're actually using it from an operational perspective. And do you have any plans? Like, what do you think in the next, say, six months, eight, eight months or a year? Uh, one of the big movements we have yeah. right now is really how do we extend the wireless coverage? Okay. So, so working with industry, um, it's really the network layer. We still want to extend the, the end devices. There's still a lot of work on the mobile application space. Uh, there's work in A1. There's work in, I'm sorry, the, the personnel side. There's work on the logistics side. He's really trying to extend some mobile applications, but... From, from our perspective in, in the CIO office, the, the coverage, uh, one of our core issues is in, into the flight line, right? You're four or five, six miles down, sometimes on the edge of any coverage, if at any coverage. And so working with industry partners to really extend, you know, things like LTE coverage or Wi-Fi coverage is, is really principal right now. You mentioned maybe not moving fast enough in regards to mobile, but <laughs> nothing is moving faster than cyber right now. And so given that evolving nature of the cyber threat and the adversaries constantly targeting the government networks and the AFNET, can you elaborate on your efforts to enhance security across the Air Force Enterprise? Um, to some degree. <laughs> um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of great activities going on. Um, most recently, uh, I think it was the end of 16, so December of 16, so about five, six months ago, we stood up the Cyber Resiliency Office. Uh, that was a big deal because it, it in the acquisition community was a dedicated cell to our, our mission platforms. Uh, up until that point, we were doing that program by program. Some cases, some, some programs did well in cybersecurity, some did not. So this brought an umbrella led by a senior executive that really their job in life is to harden and secure those weapon systems and mission platforms, which was a huge step in the right direction. After five short months, uh, things have been going well. They are they are knee deep in every single platform, trying to improve uh, the posture. Another area that we went I, uh, initial operating capability in that late 16 timeframe was an initiative we called Advanced Remediation and Detection uh, Program, commercial tool uh, that in essence we lay on top of. It's almost like a sensor inside of these systems to make sure that when things change, we know why they changed, and when things like the the WannaCry come out, we're able to patch and remediate very quickly. Um, that initiative has shown phenomenal utility in, in fending off the bad guy and making, making the pain stop and also fending them off before they get into our platform. So those are two principal areas. I, I talked to Cyber Squadron Initiative, which is really that, how do I look holistically at base operations? And so again, it's, uh, I think one of the core challenges in cyber is it's so big. Mm -hmm. You know, is somebody going after my air conditioning system? Are they going after a physical penetration of a flight line? Are they going after my IT system? Um, and so I think yeah, it, we certainly are beyond the network-centric old days of, you know, build the moats and don't let them in to the data-centric side of it. 
And then the mission thread, which is really the most important thing is where are my critical points so I can aim investments to, to really, it's, it's like a, having lived in San Antonio, right? You, your car just has to be more secure and harder to break into the, than the car beside it. <laughs> um, it's a little bit of that as, you know, where, how do we, how do you harden and get the max investment value out of every dollar? Because you can't, you literally can't secure everything. There's everything in the world has some level of vulnerability probably at the end of the day. And so finding those pain points and going after them from a full mission threat is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And to the degree you can, can you talk about what you're doing to, to further automate your controls and continue building out that continuous monitoring program, the progress you're making today, or, or maybe even the, the challenges you're facing, such as detecting that unknown advanced persistent threat? It is a challenge right now. I think, uh, again, from a compliance perspective in government, there's always what's the document that shows that you're compliant and what's the what's the procedures. In the cyber business, I think you have to be much more agile than that. And it really is about continuous monitoring. Getting the policy shift has been challenging. We say we want continuous monitoring, but yet we go back to 400 controls that you literally type into a system and, and then somebody goes through that and says, yes, yes, you are not. Uh, ARAD, I think, is a big step that advanced remediation detection system is a big step in the right direction. So having continuous monitoring in a view live to 700 plus thousand end devices is very empowering. Um, in my personnel CIO job, I, I didn't have much of that. And I came in right after the OPM breach. Um, and so it's like, how, how do you feed me with data that knows that my, my environment is secure, it's not secure? And then how do I go at uh, attacking it? So uh, that... That really is a key effort there. You, you've mentioned data a number of times. So I, I, mean, I guess that prompted uh, your efforts to establish the uh, chief data officer role. Uh, what prompted it? If you can highlight that a little bit more. And then what functions will be under the CDO's purview and how will the CDO work with a sector organization? So the CDO really started as a strategic initiative from the secretary and the, and the chief of staff. Um, you know, the Department of Defense ultimately is about making decisions faster, better than the adversary, right? I mean, we have tremendous platforms, but if you're not making the right decisions, you're a day late, a dollar short um, with where your mission is located, what weapon systems you're bringing to bear. So uh, data is always a key. It's used to call the, the OODA loop, the serve, orient, decide, and act processes, how do you keep tightening that? If, if you're better than the adversary, you don't even have to have as good a weapon systems, you can still beat them, right? Flank them, outmaneuver them, those kind of things. So it really started there. Um, all of the functionals in the building really saw, I've got the same issue, right? My intelligence, same issue, I want to make better intelligence decisions, I want to make more better operational decisions, more efficient logistics decisions. So every element in the building is very much behind the CDO, the Chief Data Officer Initiative for the Secretary. So a lot of an eff efforts and investments going into it right now. Um, and so for our role in that endeavor, really is a lot of the technical underpinnings of that. So certainly the systems integration focus that we have, of how do you bring system and data interfaces together? How do you put, and then work with the functionals. We have an A9, which is really the analytic function in air staff. How do you give them that kind of data scientist analytic look that sits on top of it? So. Most of our role is really shaping the framework, um, getting the interfaces together, authoritative data sources, making sure that's secure, um, the analytics tools, the data tools. And so if we can provide a agile, responsive environment that can bring in data sources, uh, and then really the teaming with the, the three, the operation side, the intelligence side, and the analytics office to lay on top of it to start asking those business questions. Um, we're still in the early, early stage of that. Um, 
working through the the full stand-up activities. So it, it's probably a month or two uh, more out before formally we, we get to an IOC state. But I, I certainly have the senior advocacy, which is always key. And then we have the framework in place. And now it's a matter of working through the steps of, of formal stand-up. What are the characteristics of a successful CIO? We will ask Bill Marion, Deputy Chief of Information Dominance and Deputy Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Air Force when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Government agencies are under constant pressure to improve performance and streamline operations. The IBM Center for the Business of Government helps public sector executives and managers improve the operation and management of government with practical ideas and original thinking. The diverse resources presented on the IBM Center's website make this information available to executives in a variety of ways. Every week, the IBM Center produces the Business of Government Hour, a radio program interviewing government leaders who are changing the way government does business. The show provides an intimate platform for government executives to talk about their careers, their agencies, agency accomplishments, as well as their vision of government in the 21st century. The show has aired more than 300 interviews with government leaders from all levels of government, providing them an unfettered channel to those they serve. The IBM Center highlights progress being made in public management and the leaders who bring it about. The Business of Government magazine features conversations with government executives who are making a difference. They share in-depth reflections on the work they do and the efforts they lead. The biannual magazine offers timely, relevant, and thoughtful perspectives from leading practitioners on pressing management issues. Since its creation in 1998, the IBM Center has provided practical ideas and original thinking to government managers, executives, and stakeholders. It has commissioned more than 200 reports focusing on major issues in government today, written by leading researchers from the academic and nonprofit communities. The reports offer insightful, actionable approaches to a broad range of challenges connecting public management research with practice. To learn more, visit businessofgovernment.org. What role does fire play in shaping natural resource land management? How does Interior's Office of Wildland Fire work to suppress wildland fire? What is being done to reduce the risks to first responders and the public? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Brian Rice, Director of the Office of Wildland Fire, U.S. Department of the Interior. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Bill Marion, Deputy Chief of Information Dominance and Deputy Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Air Force. Also joining us from IBM is Bill Shaw, 
Well, Lieutenant General Bender recently retired. He was a, a fantastic leader who did a lot for ASICs during his time there, pushing the organization forward. Uh, you mentioned Lieutenant General Schwedo coming in behind him. From your perspective, as he kind of takes the reign of that organization, what is the biggest challenge he's facing moving ASICs and moving the Air Force, IT, enterprise forward? Absolutely. So it's not only his number one, it's the chief of staff. So the, the one that he talks about first is multi-domain operations. Again, I talked a little bit early in the early segment of air, space, and cyber, cyber being the kind of the newest of those three. Um, but it's now matured over the last probably decade to the point where it's it's a warfighting capability. We understand it. You see the cybercom stand up as a, as a warfighting entity. Is how do you take cyber and actually inject it into all the operational aspects of what we do? Not a standalone uh, kind of siloed activity, but a fully integrated into the space and, and air domain. So that's where General Suedo's unique kind of background comes into to play, right? Is Coming from 25th, 25th Air Force. Force, having the the entire intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance mission. He was actually, we both served together back in the 67th Wing days when we were standing up network operations and enterprise global uh, kind of defense operations. A ton of background of all things cyber, operationally and from a technology perspective. So those... I have no doubt those were some of the skill sets the chief was looking for to say, I need that kind of mindset to integrate with my my operations and, and intelligence side of it to really have the game-changing effects. The adversary is trying to do the same thing to us, right? Whether across any any platform they have, but uh, certainly General Schwedo is is uh, the right man at the right time to come in. And, and uh, General Bender took us a long way in a lot of those framework areas. And then General Schwedo is going to keep that moving multi-domain forward as I think going to be our principally number one initiative. The, the second one behind that is really the enterprise IT commoditization um, in a budget constrained environment. Again, that outsourcing of IT to industry, let them do what they do really well uh, because we've got to free up those airmen to really support that, that multi-domain operations capability. We're not in a net new net ad um, environment right now. And so that retooling, um, and that's really been principally my job as, as his deputy. So he, He's got the multi-domain, I've got the enterprise IT, and then if we work that in concert, you, you start to, to enable both of those activities. Better IT services for the airmen and better cybersecurity and, and multi-domain operations for the fight. Great. So, you know, Bill, I talked to many of my guests about the use of collaboration and partnerships among agencies and with the private sector to improve mission results and outcomes. Um, how are you leveraging partnerships to improve operational outcomes? And to what extent can collaboration partnership drive innovation? Many different areas. So um, the joint in information environment that was started several years ago, uh, a lot of people had a lot of concerns around GIE or the joint information environment. But what I, I think we really learned out of it was how to across services join forces and say, hey, you have this contract or you have this capability. Why am I recreating it? You know, why, why did I build it inside the service when you might have done it? So. Why don't you take lead for that? I'll take for lead. And I think what that does is it, it maximizes each one of our strengths across the services. So in one, it may be email. Another one, it may be cyber defense. Another one, it may be enterprise cloud solutions. But that was really the early stages uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, you kind of take that a next step. The collaboration with industry is is absolutely key. Um, if, if we're not day-to-day -day from the enterprise IT piece working with industry, uh, then we're failing. You see it on the same thing on the weapon system side. So the tankers, the all the airlift platforms, they're commercial airframes, and then they configure them a little bit differently. I would argue if we can do it on airframes, then we should be able to do it on, on IT. 
one of our personnel systems, we actually completely retooled it from an acquisition perspective into a COTS configuration, saved hundreds of millions of dollars, cut years off the timeline, and airmen get better capability, faster, uh, better, cheaper. And so that industry ca- collaboration is key. And then you have kind of the, I'll call it internal government organizations. So I mentioned GSA 18F, uh, DIUX, uh, Air Force Digital Services. So that collaboration internally and externally uh, to leverage new acquisition author- or acquisition authorities, I shouldn't even say new, uh, but also other vehicles that are already out there. Uh, doing a lot of work right now with GSA on all of our acquisition approaches have a large acquisition workforce. And if I can, it's almost like outsourcing IT is if I can outsource some of that contractual work, GSA can run it at price points that support the DOD. Then I can take that acquisition workforce and not I, but the PEOs, can, um, program executive offices can move that out to the actual mission platforms. So all of that kind of comes together, right? Internal governmental um, industry, and then all the collaboration around the services that they go into that. That's great. Um, so, you know, given the role, you've pretty much laid it out today in our conversation, but the critical role information technology plays in mission and program delivery, I'd like to get your perspective on how has the role of the CIO within the federal space, and in particular within the U.S. Air Force, how has it changed to a trusted advisor? That's been the, the fundamental challenge, I think, for all the CIOs, right? Um, how do you understand the business and be relevant in the business? So that trusted advisor is the day-to-day challenge, I think, of every CIO. Um, you've got to cut schedule. You've got to reduce price um, it, because it all adds value back to the to the organization. So it, it's a journey. I think one of our successes, uh, even though it's somewhat tactical, is a large expenditure was our enterprise licenses. So all the way up at the secretary level, how do we take these large hundreds and hundreds of millions of ac- dollars in acquisitions and really t- retool them so that one, that that contract's there, people can execute against it. They don't have to go through a 12-month acquisition to buy a piece of software or hardware. Um, those provide tremendous wins. So as a CIO, to be a trusted advisor, you have to have wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to deliver upon a mobile solution or a cloud solution or or else, honestly, they go somewhere else. Um, and so from a leadership perspective, as a CIO, you're only trusted as if you if you deliver. Um, and I, across all the IT spaces and across all the portfolios, uh, that is the challenge every day, right? Because you could you could be very successful in four and you fail on one and, and it all starts over again. So uh, challenges on the network connectivity layer, challenges with getting more mobile, um, the pieces is, I'll call it reasonable expectations, but yet pushing the bar and trying to, trying to get there faster. Um, you take the acquisition challenges with retooling the workforce and the policy implications, and you put all those as inhibitors at a scale of 700,000, it, it is a constant battle, yeah. right? Um, I'd like to think, uh, you know, the movement in mobile, the movement in cloud, uh, the movement to fundamentally reshape, we're, we're making great strides there, um, but it's never done. Yeah, we've done that. Well, you know, I want to ask you another piece of advice, and that is uh, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service, military service, or both? Was a lifelong civilian. Um, I, I, I didn't necessarily go to college thinking that's where I was going to go. Um, came out as an intern in intelligence, as an IT professional. Again, I came out in the IT bust, not the IT boom. So a little bit was a, a force, but I thought, well, this is pretty cool. You know, IT job and, and Intel and wouldn't have changed anything for the world. The, the level of service, uh, certainly the intelligence mission is a is a pretty fascinating um, business and being an IT professional, empowering 
mission and protecting our people and the homeland, uh, there's there's nothing better, right? It's you're you're probably paying trading off a little of the paycheck for the service side of it, but you can go home every day knowing that that you helped in some way, shape, or form to kind of protect the United States and and continue to make it the greatest nation. So that piece you you have to have some level of ownership of to join this. Don't don't just join the government thinking you because it, it's a new world order, right? It's it's no longer even even in the government service that 35 years, you know, you got a sure job and your job's not going to change. Those those days are over. You still have the same change and mm-hmm. transformation that has to go on. Um, but again, wouldn't change anything in the world because the, the sense of service, um, getting to work in the cyber business, getting to work in the air operations center, getting to work in all facets of the distributed common ground system on the intelligence side, uh, the U-2s. I, I mean, just unbelievably cool missions. Uh, one of the feedbacks we get specifically in our area in the cyber side is we can do things that you're never going to be able to do in industry from a, a cyber warfighting perspective. And those folks that are really hardcore cyber operators, that's a pretty appealing to them. And so uh, know what you're getting into, right? I mean, there's, there's, I, I want a lot of talent on industry because we need industry to do those things. But for those folks with the the, the service sense that they really want to get into the mission areas, Focus on that, and it, it will keep you on. Um, it, there's there's challenges just like any job, but uh, the sense of accomplishment uh, is is pretty compelling. Well, th- thanks for coming in uh, today to talk to us. It's a great conversation. But you know, more importantly, uh, Bill and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thanks. Appreciate. Certainly, uh, for, for those folks listening, we have uh, our annual Air Force IT conference at uh, Montgomery, Alabama, here in August. Great setting, both for industry. Again, we talked about collaboration. Uh, that is one of the principal aspects of that is to bring industry and the government together, uh, have keynotes to also technical sessions on all these areas, um, all from IT to workforce, innovation, all those tracks are ongoing during that side. So certainly invite folks on the line to, to engage with us at the Air Force IT Conference in August. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Bill Marion. Deputy Chief of Information Dominance and Deputy Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Air Force. My co-host from IBM has been Bill Shaw. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. What role does fire play in shaping natural resource land management? How does Interior's Office of Wildland Fire work to suppress wildland fire? What is being done to reduce the risks to first responders and the public? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Brian Rice, Director of the Office of Wildland Fire, U.S. Department of the Interior. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.